Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you from several places on the internet. We're live on Crowdcast. We are also simulcasting over Ooh. on YouTube. And we're coming to you later as a podcast on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever oh. you check out your fine podcast. That's all good. You're not getting the visuals here, unfortunately, if Whoa, you're not the watching the visuals, it. man. They really add something. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure you get does. To see our uh, luxurious beards and lack mm. of Justin this week. That's right. There is the lack of Justin. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has a surprise birthday party. He forgot he was going to. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's another little bit of a surprise before we get into the show proper. Not mm-hmm. really a surprise, but something fun that we've been doing. We are getting prepped to do a Sweet Tooth podcast that's coming Ooh. to Netflix. We are huge fans of the comic book by Jeff Lemire, and we thought that would be a fun one to do, particularly because it's a limited run. It's only eight episodes, but we wanted to give folks a head us up, uh, particularly if you listen to our other TV podcasts, Riverdale After Dark, Watch When Watch, Marvel Vision, etc., that we're only going to be rolling it into its own feed. The show is called Candymen, a Sweet Tooth podcast. And just to be 100% clear, because it's a little confusing, it's not a podcast about Candyman yeah, movie or the series, which Alex assured me would not be an issue. And then as soon as we posted it on Slack, bit, 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 huge issue. Yeah, I understand it's issue. a little confusing, but it's Candyman because it's Sweet Tooth. And what we're doing is we're watching episodes of Sweet Tooth and and, and reviewing candy. That's right. That's the part that I'm having a hard time with. Um, it's been a while since I've been eating like whole candy bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes I would, you know, sneak a little treat here and there, but break it up a little bit. I'm getting like, uh, I'm getting high off these candy bars and it's, uh, I'm not doing well with it. It's getting, it's getting weird, man. Can I, can I tell people what happened last night? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So we were we were texting about what candy we wanted to review for an episode of the sweet tooth podcast, which I got uh, very, way too into way too into you were like, Oh, let's do, well, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil yeah. it. Eventually we're going to review on the podcast, but you got very excited about it. Uh, now the other thing that was going on uh, was at seven thirty. we were interviewing Seth green and Matt Senreich of robot chicken who Riverdale podcast you guys have gotten to talk to because you would be mm-hmm. up in the skybox, but I have <laughs> yeah. never had the pleasure. So I was very excited for yeah. this interview. And they did an Archie comic special on Adult Swim on Saturday. So we had them on. Turns out Seth Green, huge Riverdale, fan. huge Riverdale head, super fun. But we were sitting there at the top of the podcast at 730, me and Justin and Seth and Matt kind of staring at each other, actually having a very nice time chatting, but Pete wasn't there. And so we kept texting and being like, hey, Pete, are you coming? Are you there? Are you coming? Are you there? Are you coming? And we didn't, I didn't want to be annoying about it, but we really like 
yeah. it was getting to a point where we had to go. We had yeah, as, uh, yeah. You can't just wait, make famous people wait around. Yeah. Uh, so we taped the podcast without Pete. Pete, do you want to tell people where you were? I ran to CVS to get candy because I got so excited about the candy for our show. I completely forgot about it. For the podcast about... that we're not taping for a while. Yeah, yeah. You I got... missed the podcast we were doing because you were so excited about candy. And when you texted us later being like, oh, shit, I went to the CVS. I'm so sorry. I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt and thought, okay, maybe there's a medical emergency. Maybe something's going on like that. But nope, you just got... So excited about Caddy, you forgot about the other podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah, the other podcast that was planned and scheduled and yep. talked about uh, via text a whole bunch. Uh, <laughs> I got my head on straight, man. This ooh, this pandemic hasn't affected me at all. I'm just still oh, doing great. God. It's that's very funny. Uh, I love that. Anyway, candy. Do you then... wait? Do you get the sweats now after you eat the uh, the candy? Like, are you going through this at all, or what's no, up? No, I I make sure to get my daily recommended okay amount of candy, regardless. Oh well, that's smart to maintain. Yeah, I uh, get. Your uh, I, go to, I go to Dwayne Reed. I get one of those. Uh, what are they? Bottles of gummy bears. Yeah, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. the soft vitamins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By which I mean not actually vitamins, but just uh, gummy bears and Sour Patch Kids, yeah. and I have two of them every morning because uh, I get smart. my sugar up. It's smart. It's a good way Absolutely. to start the day. <laughs> In any case, that is coming very soon. There's a preview episode up now, but we just wanted to give people very excited up. about that. Uh, show looks great. Cannot uh, wait to talk more about it. It's a, uh, it's a, it's one of those ones where you guys made me do it, and uh, gosh darn, I'm glad that we did. Yeah. Candyman, a Sweet Tooth podcast. Check that out. But right now, let's get into the actual podcast we're doing right now. Pete, can you stay or do you need to get some candy? Yeah, well, talking about candy, is uh, it's made my palms sweaty. So, you know, i got to <laughs> get my fix in. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We are going to bring our first two guests in here later on in the show. Glenn Head will be joining us. But right now, I'm going to welcome two folks, James Emmett and Erica Schultz. They are the editor and writer, respectively, of Deadliest Bouquet, which is a new comic. It's a Kickstarter project. Oh, one of them is here. Hey! Oh, both of them are here. Welcome. So excited to have you here. So excited to chat about this project. Uh, And you probably already know this, but as of, I think... Eight minutes before the show, you are fully funded. Uh, Erica! Oh my God. How do we do it? How do we do it? <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, there you that's, go. I was checking oh, in it. Awesome. I saw it like inching up during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it just, uh, in, uh, wow. That's crazy. I missed. There you go. I'm so excited. I got to break that to you right on the show. There you go. Look, there's a visual. Oh my God. There it is. There you can see. Uh, Uh, Yay. You did it. You did it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show. It was nice having you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Uh, Let's uh, let's... mental picture of it and (laughs) lock it away in my mind forever. Uh, well, let's talk about this project because this is super fun. Um, I mean, anybody who is watching right now can visually, they can read what is going on with it. But Eric, do you do want to give us the pitch for the book regardless? Okay. So the log line is in 1998, three estranged sisters, uh, trained by their Nazi hunting mom, reunite to solve their mom's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. 
Love it. Uh, yeah. So where where did this start? Because you obviously have, I, I mean, obviously part of this is up to the artist, but you have such three visually distinct, character distinct, very nineties uh, sisters. Yeah, very nineties. Set in nineteen ninety eight. Where did they start? Did it start with one of the sisters? Did it start with the general idea? Where um, did the stories start to come together? It basically started with this idea of sort of these like three badass broads. Uh, I wanted something that was going to be like 90s ish, but also something that would also anchor back to like World War Two, because there's like this whole World War Two thing as well. Um, and I started and stopped the series a million times and I had a lot of false starts. And I said, James, the fabulous, wonderful editor that I know. Um, <laughs> I want you to come on board because uh, I'm a crazy person and I cannot figure out the the through line really. And I gave James, you know, a bunch of half written scripts. Uh, I had tried to attack it from a bunch of different angles and it just, nothing was working. Um, and James was so kind and so patient with me to sort of sit down and look at everything and really find what worked. And then, like, said, okay, like, this is the stuff that works. You know, let's keep this over here and then go. And really sort of, like, Dave was the machete to sort of, like, you know, James was, like, hacking through the panel <laughs> that I could finally see. Um, that is why James is, like, the best. The absolute oh, best. I was doing my best Violet impression and just went in and started <laughs> chopping stuff up. No, I mean, the, the, the bones were there. It was just, like, kind of fine-tuning and then having conversations with Erica about like what I think would make the strongest story and what she kind of was already passionate about. And we just had really good um, synergy in that way of like being able to just shoot the beep and be able to talk about, I don't even know if I can curse, but I just you can curse. Um, shoot the shit and uh, figure out what <laughs> I like curse all the time with Erica on the phone. So it's very uh, easy. Where our, our phone calls are literally like two straight hours of just f bombs and like and like that's that's it. Like every text is like fuck this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have, we do therapy sessions. It's yes. good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, James, when you're when you are approaching a project, and maybe it's different for every single one, but what's the first thing that you look for as an editor? Um, I mean, that's a really great question. I think I, I'm a very character-driven story person, so that's always what I kind of gravitate towards. So I look for moments of uh, really interesting character beats. Um, but I think there's also just, I think everybody has their own general way of approaching a story. And I think it's really interesting to work with writers who work in just very disparate uh, different ways and um, come in and see what their approach is and see what works for them. And, you know, I come in and just kind of make suggestions and try to strengthen what's there. And it's sometimes like, oh, you have to tear all of this down and start over. Um, but that hasn't been the case most of the time. Most of the time there's something at least basement level where you can like start building a really good piece of architecture. So that was a really weird answer to that question. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> uh, Erica, maybe this is top of mind for me just because, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a trailer for this movie, Gunpowder Milkshake, that came out today that everybody was freaking out at about. It, is there something in the zeitgeist with just, like, badass lady gags going and killing people? Or is it just a coincidence that these two things are dropping at the same um, time? Well, I mean, I... 
I I haven't seen the uh, the trailer. I, there was a teaser like a month ago that mm -hmm. was just like you know flash cuts for like fifteen seconds, and I saw that. I thought that was really cool looking. Um, but yeah, I know like the kitchen came out within the last year or two. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, well, I mean you can't even say that because look, Kill Bill was what like fifteen mm -hmm. years ago. So I mean, it's I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> pissed off we're just you know i think i was gonna off. say i'm like maybe women are just angry and owning it and that's fine and like yeah. we you know and that's like a conversation that has been around for a long time like how and i'm answering for you look at me i'm the I man talking for the woman here we go no but i think you know there is like this sort of like women not being allowed to express themselves in certain ways and it's just sort of throwing that on its head and being like your patriarchal bullshit and just kind of like doing it anyway. So that's well, that, that, sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> that works. Well, another aspect of the book that I think you touched on it earlier, Erica, is that the mother is a Nazi hunter. So, n not that we want to forgive Nazis for anything; they're the worst. But how do you how do you hit that? Like, how do you uh, in incorporate a Nazi hunter, incorporate Nazis in a book, and make it? still feel part of a world um well it's 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 kind of a subtle thing so jasmine the mother who um is is killed in the first you know five pages of the story um jasmine's parents were part of the french resistance and so jasmine's parents were nazi hunters they trained her and her brother to become nazi hunters after the war they sort of traveled the world searching for people who had you know nazis who had escaped kind of thing so that's where Jasmine learned all these, you know, incredible skills and then passed them on to her, to their daughters, the three daughters. Um, so we don't go like crazy deep into the Nazi hunting stuff, but it is there. And um, the main focus of the story is these three sisters and the relationship to each other and the relationship to their mom. But we do talk about sort of like this generational trauma and this, you know, generational, like um, uh, really severe responsibility. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's definitely touched on. And that was one of the, the main reason, reasons why I had, I had such a hard time breaking this story was because I said, I was like, okay, originally I was going to do these three story arcs. Um, but then, you know, I think about like, basically you need to think of a story as if this is the only time you're going to be able to tell the story, what's the story that you're going to tell. Um, and that's why I had started it from a million different directions. And that's where James really came in and helped and said, okay, if we're never going to touch this story ever again, this is the story that you'll tell that will touch on the Nazi hunting stuff, touch on the World War II stuff, but give us the core story of these sisters. Yeah, I I really loved, uh, and I'm so happy it got uh, completely funded because it's like one of the things that I really liked about when I watched the kids kickstarter video is like oh this world is great i hope this does well because the mom sounds like such a badass i would love to see some of that stuff as well so uh, I mean, yeah this if, is a great world you set up here if we get um, if we get funded really well i mean maybe we'll have a chance to to add to that and add to the story um you know do a short with uh you know jasmine you know um in the second issue we actually delve more into um her backstory and um, and we talk about uh, uh, a severe trauma that she had uh, that she had suffered, and how that really sort of like hooked turned her life on its head. So, 
So it's really about it's a family story that's very functional. Everybody is functioning at a very oh good god level. yes Everyone's everybody is, everybody is so like therapy <laughs> everything yes yes no they're they're all a little batshit yeah. James, I don't know if this is a question for you or Erica, but I was curious about putting together the art team. Is that something that Erica comes to you with the idea and you say, okay, here's who I'm thinking for uh, pencils? Well, in this circumstance, this was like all Erica's baby at that point. She was, I mean, no, honestly, the only person that I was like, I, I, well, I suggested, we talked about Gabs because we both kind of liked her work um, for a while. And then um, I think I was like, just try and reach out to Kevin Wada. Just try it. Just <laughs> throw it out there. Who knows? It could be, you know, like. Yeah, you pushed me to reach out to Kevin Wada. And I'm like freaking out as I'm emailing <laughs> and like sending the email to you. Does this sound okay? Yeah. I, I, I gotta like, say, it really. Done. It really warms my heart to see a writer doing this. You know what I mean? No, I actually, like... I, I don't, I don't hunt and pack. I actually, I, I type okay. about seventy-five words a minute. So okay, all right. I didn't mean wow. to. You know, I was. Yeah, I'm okay. legit. Okay, like I'm a, I'm a real writer. Okay, all right. Real writer. And just bring it up. That's the cover right there. So clearly, the thing with uh, Kevin Wada worked out. So that's great. Yes, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Wada is an absolute pleasure to work with, and is like super duper professional and just incredibly wonderful and understanding when I send these blathering on emails that James gets like, you know, four times a day, um, <laughs> you know, and I tell Kevin Wada things like, oh, it's like clueless meets singles meets law and order, you know, <laughs> and, you know, just nonsensical things that he's able to just sort of internalize and create amazing things from. Wow. Awesome. Uh, Erica, I'm curious to hear from you. Obviously, there's going to be some big action sequences in this book. How do you approach scripting out an action sequence? What What's the first thing you tackle? Um, well, I, I first got to figure out who's fighting and who's going to win. <laughs> and then sure. I sort of work back from there. Um, we, we've got a great action sequence that I sort of hinted at at a few and uh, in a few Instagram posts of uh, the end of the first issue, Violet is in a predicament, or creates a predicament rather, um, and uh, she's good at she's good at picking fights. And uh, she, uh, we then see the fruits of that labor uh, later on, and um, and then you know even later in the third issue, we see another like, you know, all three sisters coming together for this like crazy ass you know takedown. Um, but I usually, I, I try not to over choreograph a fight sequence for the artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, let's think about maybe doing this as two pages and you can sort of spread the panels over two pages. You know, these are the two people that are going to be fighting and this is who's going to be winning at the end. Um, and I'll give suggestions. And um, I found some really great uh, reference, you know, fight reference. Uh, if I see a video of, uh, you know, of some really cool takedown or something like that, I'll send that. Um, my my cousin does, uh, I don't know, he does like some ridiculous martial arts. It's the cousin I, to- I always talk about, James, mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he does like you know triathlete, <laughs> Ironman, some ridiculous martial martial arts stuff. So I'm a, I'll I'll you know say to him like hey like what would be a cool thing and he'll sometimes like send videos or something like that, and um and so like oh, okay that looks cool and I'll send that as reference. But I never like 
I never like make like an edict, like you have to do this. It's just so-and-so is going to get their ass handed to them. You know, here you go. Nice. Awesome. Uh, James, before uh, we let you guys go, what can people look forward to in the Kickstarter? Obviously, it's successful, so you don't need our business at all. But if people do want to head there... Uh, what, um, please give us your business anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, we have some really cool stretch goals that um, we're talking about and um, we'll reveal hopefully soon um, as it keeps going in. But um, we have, I mean, obviously the book itself with the awesome Kevin Wada cover, interiors by Corolla and Gabs. Um, we have a beautiful journal with, a Kev- with Kevin Wada's cover on it. Which oh, yeah, I saw that. Awesome. That's cool. Um, we have a beautiful print by Elaine Grace who um who i love elaine is just like i just um i worked with her on i am hex prince and i was yeah. like yeah, this is really great um <laughs> uh and yeah no there's pins and there's stickers and um i don't know if there's any opportunity to still be drawn in the book i think that might be gone that, um, that got that got snatched up already that got snatched up fast. And, so did, um, and so did the script uh so did the uh script uh reviews those review. two got that was snatched the one up thing already. i was going to mention but okay yeah. never mind everything well got, i mean here's mind. a little tip if you buy but the please, book you can still draw yourself in it anytime you yeah, want totally. nobody <laughs> can stop you you totally can draw yourself <laughs> exactly. yeah. um yeah. we we will be having um i mean there's also uh, we have a grab bag where you know, it's sort of a blind box where you can get another number one of that that I've written. So, you know, M3, Legacy of Mandrake, uh, Xena, Charmed, whatever. Basically, like, whatever comps I have in the closet. <laughs> yeah, they're yours. There you go. There you go, a little so, spring cleaning incentive. It's And it's and it's a blind box, you know. And and I keep sell- telling people, you know, if, if you're not familiar with, with our work, obviously go to James' website, go to my website, check stuff out. And see if this is something that you really, you know, that if this is in your wheelhouse. So, awesome. Cool. Well, I, it's I think in most people's wheelhouse because yeah, it's, it's a fantastic. very cool book. Congratulations on the success! Thank you Thank so you. much for coming on, and uh, Thank good you luck, so much, you guys. Thank you for having yeah, us. You. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, uh, once again. That was James Emmett and Erica Schultz from Deadliest Bouquet. You can check that out on Kickstarter. You have plenty of time, depending on when you're listening to this, obviously. Uh, But right now, there's about 20-ish days left in the Kickstarter. So definitely go take a look. And now we are going to welcome our second guest, third guest technically, I guess, into the stream. Uh, His name is Glenn Head. He is the creator of a new book, Chartwell Manor. It was out today from Fantagraphics. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Head, hello. How are you? Hey, how are you? Things are looking a little dark. Let me get a little bit more light in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no problem. All good. That's a little there better. Ooh, I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's atmospheric. Yeah. Very noir. <laughs> Glenn, welcome yeah, to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm very well, excited to talk about this book. Um, I do want to mention to anybody listening to this that uh, just a little bit of a trigger warning here, potentially, just because this book deals with a lot of heavy subjects in terms of abuse. So if you do want to turn away for a little bit, uh, definitely do, though I am excited to talk about this book. Uh, that all said, Chartwell Matter out today. It's a true life book. It's a nonfiction book. Um, why Why was it time to tell this story now? Maybe that's a good place to start. Well, it's kind of hard to explain that when I get asked it a lot. And uh, actually, I've been trying to do this book for at least the last couple of decades. Oh, wow. 
I first considered doing it when I was at the school because the school itself was so sort of gothic and atmospheric and sort of haunted seeming that it really struck me as uh, a kind of tale, you know, like being there, this is in 1971 when I was 13, it uh, wasn't anything like the world I'd been in. It was this British boarding school type place, even though it was in Mendham, New Jersey, it was uh, nearby where I lived, but it felt like something from another century. So it really felt like material. And that's, that's the point I'd always make is that this stuff really felt like material. You know? Yeah. Well, can you give, do you mind giving me an overview on the book? I mean, just for anybody who's watching here, we're showing sure, a little bit sure. of video so people can see it. I but. mean, basically, um, it's a five chapter graphic novel, it's uh, 236 pages. And the first of the chapters, which is the longest, is the beginning when I'm 13 and I'm at the school. And uh, the headmaster, who is a serial pedophile, He's running the place. And as I say, the place seemed haunted, but it wasn't until a little while later that turns out he's the monster. And he's the monster of this gothic horror tale. So that's the experience for young Glenn, me, from age 13 to 15. And the rest of the book, uh, which is actually a good bit, you know, it's at least 100 and I don't know, 50 pages is about the aftermath, which is what really interests me, is how when we're affected by abuse or whatever we're affected by, how we come to live with it and how our lives go after the abuse. And that's what the rest of the book is about. It shows me in my teenage years after that. And then it shows me at uh, later points in my life, including now. Now, the thing that I, we've talked about this on the show with different books before, but I always am interested to hear the answer is, uh, obviously dealing with trauma is important. It's something you got to talk about. It's something you go to therapy about. It's something you talk to other people about, but it's a very different thing when you're taking down on page uh, and you're living through it, creating art out of it, meticulously going through the pages, editing it, et cetera. What was that experience like for you? Well, um, Actually, it might sound weird, but the experience was highly enjoyable. I had been wanting to draw this book my whole life. And there are things in there that, for a cartoonist, were begging to be drawn. Uh, Particularly, there's some stuff with Satan worship and the headmaster coming in and telling a bedtime story and him telling these horrifying tales to us when we were 13 and we're hearing these stories. And... I had always wanted to draw that because it just seemed like a horror comic. And I guess that's the point. Uh, this is a real life horror, horror comic with some comic touches. And surprisingly, it wasn't really difficult to draw. I would say it would have been harder not to draw it than to draw it. And, you know, my work habits are good. I get up every day and I work every day for about eight or nine hours. And, uh, I spent a lot of time writing it. I mean, the the writing process of it, I take very seriously. You know, I found, because I haven't always done graphic novels, I've sometimes just done comics, that the written part of a graphic novel, the narrative part, is much more intense and much more demanding, really, than it would be in, say, a comic book. Like, 
everything really needs to work. All the nuts and bolts really need to be in place. You have to have a really strong story to be able to make a graphic novel happen. And so a lot of time was spent on that. And I approached it uh, very piecemeal in that respect. So the whole book was entirely written. The breakdowns were done before I did any of the pencils. And all the pencils were done before I did any ink. And all the lettering, all 236 pages, which is a lot of lettering, got done before I did anything else. So it's, it's an exciting process like that to work on something that vast. It's a lot like making a movie. Like, this might be a weird I, question to ask, given that it's your own experience, but did you have to do any research? And, and the only reason I ask that is because I would be hard-pressed to mention more than three things that happened to me as a teenager and remember the be able to string them together into a cohesive really? story. Yeah. I mean, I also have a terrible memory for my youth, so I don't know. Well, man, maybe I'll this is more you. on me. Maybe, maybe mean, we should plumb into what's going on with me. I, but I'm just curious because everybody's memory is an individual thing. So I'm always curious if other people's memories are like mine. And my memory, like, is kind of extraordinary. Uh, that, that sounds like I'm bragging, but it, it's not. It's like see, there are things here that I remember, like Lynch's speech patterns. Like, I remember them exactly. There's this florid way of speaking, this pomposity, and the way he strung sentences together. A lot of that stuff is verbatim because I just remember it that clearly. Wow. So in terms of doing any kind of research like that, that was never necessary. But in terms of like doing good drawing, for instance, like drawing kids is completely different from drawing adults. And as an artist, you know, you get used to drawing what you're drawing all the time and you get used to the eight heads in a body type thing and a male or female. But it's almost like the difference between drawing a dog and a horse when you're drawing, when you've got to draw kids. So I had to draw, I had to do a lot of research for that. And uh, I worked from photos a lot because also, you know, a blazer like kids would wear, it hangs totally differently on you than say another kind of coat. And when you're drawing action scenes, for instance, where stuff is happening, that stuff has to be believable. So I did work from photos a lot. I did a lot of, a great deal of preliminary drawing to be sure I had the feel of this place right. Because, you know, tone is everything. Getting the right tone for a story, especially for a Gothic story like this, it really has to have the right feel for you to believe that the story you're being told is a true one and that the person, you know, was there so that you feel like you were there, you know? Uh, yeah, I, oh, I just want to say, like, I'm uh, the video of it does such a great job of, like, not only selling the premise, but then showing, like, the, the newspaper clippings to kind yeah. of reiterate what you're saying. Like, this yeah. is true. This really happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the quotes that you got were is really amazing. So um, uh, congratulations on uh, getting that. Was that was that really cool to hear back and to get such, like, positive kind of, like, amazing feedback on it? Of course. I mean, everybody wants that, you know, and like, see, some of what the book is about is me seeing underground comics for the first time when I'm at mm -hmm. school, you know, and uh, so that demonic world of underground comics was happening in this demonic world that I was living in. So I was trying to work those things out together. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course, it meant a great deal to me for Robert Crumb to call it a masterpiece. Yeah. You know? This was where I first saw his work. So for this to happen in this context, I couldn't ask for better. You know. 
I mean, I mean I had... on that note, this is a little far afield from the book itself, but because you have been so entrenched in the underground comic scene uh, for so long and you have an understanding yeah. of that history, where is it now? You know, just where? what is its place in terms of the broad span of comics right now, would you say? Underground comics? Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, I don't really know exactly. See, the thing about underground comics, and one reason why they hit, if you know about that aspect of the history, they partly grew out of mad comics, mm-hmm. but they also grew out of the comics code controversy in the 1950s when mm-hmm. there, you know, there was this code that comics had to adhere to and underground comics rebelled against that. And in that respect, all bets were off. You could draw whatever you wanted and no one was going to give you any grief about it. You couldn't sell the stuff to kids, but the stuff was incredibly popular and, the zeitgeist at that time in both comics and movies was to kind of push the envelope, right? Mm-hmm. And um, where that is now in this day and age with uh, things being so polarized and so extreme and the left being as hardcore in certain respects as the right about what is okay to be expressed. Um, well, that's one reason why I wrote the foreword that I did in the book which I was trying to get out in front of how there may be some reaction towards against my character for some of his behavior in the later parts of the book. Sure. Now I may have inoculated myself because I'm in this story as a child and things are happening to me and I'm showing the correlation, if not causality of how things happen later, but that doesn't mean some people might not have some problems with it. Um, People have a lot of problems these days. It sometimes seems with Robert Crumb. I don't know. He's he's like not liking Robert Crumb or hating him, though. It's kind of like hating the Beatles because, you know, he's he's that big and that much of a cultural tidal wave as an important artist that, you know, um, he jokes about it, that maybe he should be canceled using that word that. You know, it's very zeitgeisty, but um, it's it's hard to know. I I don't know where people are willing to go with underground comics. I don't know if see that's that's a term of description that I use for my work because I see myself having come out of it. Uh, for some people, that just means you know, pot smoking hippies. I don't know what underground comics. <laughs> myself well to that end though uh i mean as somebody who fell in love with underground comics came up in that world does it feel at all weird to be publishing with fantagraphics not that they're like marvel or dc or anything like that but they're also not a zine that somebody published in their basement necessarily actually actually i i think of fantagraphics as being uh similar to the print mint i don't know if you're aware of that publisher but that was an underground publisher that came up in the 60s and they published a lot of stuff and um god bless them man they they published some great stuff they also published some stuff that might not have been all that great but the point is they gave a lot of people a chance they gave a lot of people the chance to see their work out there and that's a big deal um i really it's it's weird to me if people think of fanographics as the establishment because I've been dealing with fanographics for like the last 30 years. And I've seen how the game has changed, you know, like 
um, when I was first getting my stuff out through them, it was just still in the days of the pamphlets that still existed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. they, they were going for six or eight bucks, so they, they weren't cheap, but they weren't anything like what we have now, where everything is kind of like an art book that happens to have comics in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And frankly, that was a huge leap for me to make. I thought of comics as this sort of trashy, pulpy, exciting uh, thrill ride that could be disposable. And that was all part of the thrill of it. You know what I mean? That was all part of the excitement of what comics were supposed to do. Um, I didn't necessarily like them if they were going to be art, if they were going to be literature. It seemed a little mm. bit, it seemed a bit much. You know what I mean? Yet at the same time, I knew that a lot of the best stuff was things like Mouse or Raw, things like that. It was obvious that that was like the pinnacle of it, which also grew out of underground comics. I mean, that was really, in a sense, you know, Art Spiegelman had been an underground cartoonist and, and a lot of the artists in there came up through that as well. So I think it's valid. I guess that's the answer to the question. I hope it's valid. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. I, so. I mean, just from my perspective, uh, one distinct memory that I do have as a kid is kind of yeah. going backwards, like reading Mouse, completely okay. being enamored of it, and then mm -hmm. working backwards, then picking up issues of Raw and being like, uh, okay, all right, okay, <laughs> I can see where this comes from now. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, so somewhere over there, I'm not going to go pick them up, but somewhere in my bookcase, off camera this way. Yeah. I still have some of those copies of Raw and definitely have Mouse around, so. Yeah. Um, this is taking a little bit of a step back, but given that this was a story that you had in your head for so long, for seemingly at least most of your life at this point, yeah. what is it like actually getting it out there and on the page and having it printed and done? It's pretty wild, actually. Um, it's pretty wild seeing it out there. Uh, it really is a process of letting go of something, um, that had been a part of my psyche forever. So... It was really a process dealing with it because um, I guess I should explain myself. I, I'm not really looking to cathart or express myself per se. What I'm looking to do is just do the very best work I can. And I knew that if I was finally getting around to doing this, that it had to be exactly the book that I wanted. So I took it very seriously. And every step of the way I did until now, and also with Fantagraphics, who were wonderful. I mean, um, Eric was great. Eric Reynolds, he proofread the book, actually. And uh, their design people were fantastic, too. So it's very, it's very satisfying to work on a project that has been gestating for that long and have it come out exactly like you want. Yeah, that's wow. huge. Yeah. overemphasize that because... That's amazing. I've been doing comics a long time and you know, when the rubber hits the road, that's the stage after the adrenaline and when you're drawing it, writing it and you're into the whole thing. And then you're like, it's, it's going to be birthed. And what that means is first of all, what's the print job going to look like? You know what I mean? Cause that's mm -hmm. out of your control. You yeah. know, there used to be like blue line proofs that you would get and you'd see what, you know, you could count on. And even that wasn't necessarily what you were going to get. So, I mean, it's, it's always a roll of the dice when you're getting your work out there. But thankfully also, you know, I will say this too for Fantagraphics, 
is that production has gotten better and better and better. So the odds are good that it's not the roll of the dice it used to be. The odds are good that it will actually come out really looking like you hoped it would. And that's the really nice thing about a graphic novel. It, it really has a heft to it mm-hmm. that you weren't getting with a comic book. You know what I mean? It, it changes it. But it's nice, too, because it can be a real quality item. You know, I mean, speaking of which, uh, I know not everything is completely open up yet, but some bookstores are open. Have you been able to go out today and see it on shelves anywhere? I haven't. Um, I've actually been busier just being on the phone and (laughs) it just came out rather than even considering that possibility. But the fact of it is I I went to some shops, um, my favorite comic shop in Brooklyn, which is Desert Island, and they did the. uh, Yeah. They did the signing for my last book and I went there hoping and he was like, no way, man, we're not doing anything. So <laughs> that just that just wasn't going to happen. So that's a bummer. But I mean, I will go to stores and see it there. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a very weird time yeah. been a very weird time. Yeah, well, listen, sure. the book is out. It's great. Yeah. I'm very excited for people to check it out. And I'm glad you're happy with it. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. Yeah. Uh, that's so good. Thank you so much for coming on, Glenn. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, nice have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there we go. Once again, that was Glenn Head, and the book is called Chartwell Matter. It was out from Fantagraphics. Today. Fantagraphics. Don't uh, don't go to get it signed at Desert Island Comics, but otherwise pick up the book. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and folks, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It is your audience question. Hey, Alex. And hold on. Hold on. What? What? Pete, I haven't even I, Before we get either. into that, though, I have a question. You have a question already? I haven't even explained how to do yeah. audience questions yet. What, what is up, Pete? What's going on? Um, I just wanted to talk to you about, uh, I'm, I'm worried about your balls. What? I'm worried about how smooth your balls are. You're worried about it? You're concerned? Yeah, I'm concerned. Uh, what are you concerned about in particular, Pete? Well, I'm just worried that you're not taking care of your boys down there, and they you know, they could be smoother. <laughs> I, I Thank you. I mean, as everybody knows, Pete always does a check-in with me every morning. He texts me and asks, hey, how's your ball smoothness doing? Uh, so I really appreciate the attention. Uh, but I think what you're doing here, oh, you got it. Uh, Pete is teeing up that this week's episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com and the Lawnmower right. 4.0. A uh, quick question about you pulling that out on the stream. Were you shaving yourself during the show? No, it's just, uh, you know, something I keep handy. You know, you got Zoom meetings. You got to make sure everything's going good. Yeah, that's how certain people get kicked out of the New Yorker. But just to go continuing with this, uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. Uh, there. <laughs> Thanks for reading the script, by the way, Peter. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, well, you know, no, that's it doesn't work about... anymore. We went too far afield. Yeah, we did. We riffed too much. Too much. I work too... on these scripts for these ads. For yeah, you hours. Do... I you workshop do... them with my children, <laughs> with my six-year-old boy. I hope you don't. I'm pretty sure that's uh, it's not legal. I, I asked him about it. And I'm like, what do you think about the Manscaped? And he's like, I just want to play Pokemon. Please stop talking to me about this. Yeah. Anyway, you'll find, uh, unlike my son, uh, there are over 2 million men worldwide that actually trust the band, uh, the brand Manscaped, uh, which is very exciting. Pete? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> I got to read stuff. I thought I was done. Yeah, I didn't think you know, I... it's fine. The Light of War 4.0 is an intense LED spotlight and advanced ceramic blade. The That's light good. is awesome. I, I got to say, I really love the light. I, and this, you know, all joking aside, uh, I use this product. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and you also, you've stopped using the flashlight on your phone. You just use the Manscaped and shine it around That's your house right. there's a power outage, right? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, I will tell you what. It has skin-safe technology. It's sleek and waterproof. It's also got wireless charging, a travel lock, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDE at 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code FANSIDE at 20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Yeah, smooth balls. This program is brought to you by the Hulu original series, MODOK. I can't stop talking about this show. It's the craziest, funniest, and wildest thing I've seen in a long time. MODOK is a supervillain voiced by the incredible Patton Oswalt. Oh yeah, did I mention MODOK stands for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing? For MODOK, the only thing harder than ruling the planet is running a family. Get ready to discover that not all villains are super. This show has an amazing cast, with Patton as MODOK, along with Amy Garcia, Ben Schwartz, Melissa Fumero, Wendy McClendon-Covey, Beck Bennett, John Daly, Sam Richardson, and celebrity cameos as some of your favorite Marvel heroes. Marvel's MODOK, all episodes now streaming only on Hulu. All right, folks, we are going to move on actually with audience questions. And to do that, if you're over on YouTube, the good old tube, just drop a question right in the comments there. I'm keeping an eye on those over here on Crowdcast. You can drop them and ask a question. Uh, But for the moment, uh, just to answer the question here from First Hand Up Guy, uh, yes, this episode and the past couple of episodes have been sponsored by Manscaped. We are wrapping up that campaign very quickly. You get one more in the stack, but that's it. Uh, sorry about oh, he has a follow-up but what are you in the meantime what are you drinking pete what are you drinking tonight uh moonshine straight from the still uh no i'm drinking a little uh a little vodka and soda nice uh i'm having a goose island which i always forget is not great <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate your honesty yeah no problem i got it and it was like Oh, this is, it's just like a little too lemony and there's really not much IPA to it, but I got it because I didn't want to get Lagunitas again. I've gotten that like three times in a row and I was like, oh, maybe I'll get this Goose Island. Then I tasted it. I was like, oh, that's why I don't usually get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, now I got to drink five more of these. Yeah. I mean, I'll do it. I'll do it because somebody has to. Uh, first Aid Up Guy does says, uh, how does Superman shave his nuts? I don't know. Does anybody remember the... Man of Steel campaign, How Does Superman Shave? Do you, you don't remember that, do you, Pete? No. This was, I, it was the Gillette campaign. Oh, yeah, Gillette did a and thing. And they were like, we only have one question about the Man of Steel. How does he shave? And literally every comic book fan pulled out the paddle of like, he uses his heat fish and he bounces yeah, it off a mirror. We know that. Why yeah. are you asking us that, idiots? Yeah. You stupid idiots at Gillette. God damn it. You're not as good as Manscaped or the Lawnmower 4.0. Oh, boy. Yeah. Shots right. fired at Gillette. Shots fired from the future to the past. Uh, this is a question over on YouTube from Nelson Martinez. Have you guys been checking out Shadow and Bone on Netflix? I just started the first book today. Alex, would you recommend finishing the books before the show? Really enjoying visualizing the book so far. 
And we've mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit, Pete. I know you were looking for a recommendation, mostly for your girlfriend, not for yourself. But have you guys watched it yet? No, got to do that. Uh, definitely right. got to do that. Okay, so just to talk about, uh, to answer Nelson's question here, uh, I I started reading the books in December because I saw everybody freaking out about this deer with weird antlers and the teaser on Netflix. And I was like, all right, seems like it's going to be a big show. I guess I'll read this first book. Loved it. Super fun. Really enjoyed it. Very Is it read. Sweet Tooth knockoff? No. There okay. is. They both have weird deers, though. Yeah. So there is that. Say. Um, in fact, the weird deer is kind of like a minor part of the series. So I don't know if I, why they led with that or everybody was freaking out about it. But um, read the first book, got enamored of it. Read the second book, read the third book. Uh, then the way that it works is there's a main trilogy. Then there's two. there's two duologies after it that include different characters and are very different. I ended up reading, I think the first four and a half books by the time the series came out and love them. The fifth one is fantastic. It's easily the best one. Um, but the series is great too. Like, I think it's a lot of fun. I, this is my maybe confusing recommendation with this, uh, is I really think you can go either way. And the reason I say that is like, with this, with Shadow and Bone, I read four and a half books before I watched the series. It was great because it helped me get right into it and I understood the terms and everything. But with Game of Thrones, for example, I watched the first season, really enjoyed it, didn't understand anything that was going on. And then I read all of the books before the second season. And then I was like, okay, all right, I see what's going on here. Now I get this. Um, so I think either direction you watch it, you're going to get different information and different experience. Um, but regardless, I recommend both of them. I recommend watching the series. I recommend reading the books. Super fun. Good time. All right. You should check them out, Pete. All right. I'll, I'll, uh, put it on you the don't list. Seem convinced. <laughs> I will tell you what, somewhere within the fifth book is some candy. Oh, don't play with my emotions. But you got to read them in order. Uh, speaking of which, this is from Hollywood Homer over on Crowdcast. Does Pete still do his 10,000 steps a day for his health insurance discount? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, I don't have Oscar insurance anymore. I, you know, I get insurance through my job, so I don't want to you know, not get that insurance and have to pay for Oscar, which would be more money. But uh, that's funny. That's uh, that was, that's some real shit right there. Uh, just to answer a question here in the comments, Luana says, uh, also, Pete, why wouldn't this recommend uh, rec be for you? Why just for me? Is there something gendered here that I'm missing? I'm merely responding to the fact that I talked about it for a while on our Week in Geek podcast. And Pete clearly did not care. He was just plugging me for information. And that was it. And was like, please stop talking about this. I just want a yes or no so I can pass on that information to Luana. So there you go. I don't think it's a gendered thing so much as a Pete doesn't really care thing. Uh, This is from Edward Doherty. The character models in The Invincible Show were excellent. Corey Walker's minimalist and exact line work and strong anatomy was well-suited to animation. What other comic artist styles do you think could be adapted to animation? Well, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I I always thought, like, Cliff Chang uh, Mm. would be really great. I love Cliff Chang's art. Um, 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of great artists that you just wonder like what it would be like, you know, like Jill Thompson, it does a lot of great watercolor stuff that you don't see too much in animation, uh, maybe with some indie, more artistic stuff, yes, but uh, man, it's so beautiful, you'd like, like to see more of that. Yeah, First Hand Up guy calls out the All Reds and Marcos Martin. Those are great mm-hmm, calls. In mm-hmm. particular, it's... Chris Baccio. Has there ever been a Madman uh, animated series? Because that seems like almost a no-brainer. Somebody should do that at some point. Okay. Get on it. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll work on it. Uh, but yeah, the All Reds would be amazing. Um, yeah, and Cliff Chang, good choice as well. Uh, this is from Stray Bullet. Did you guys watch Modoc asking for a friend? Yes, Stray's been sounding off on Slack. Oh, like, okay. why aren't we talking about Modoc? Yes. Well, I, this is very exciting. We can announce that our podcast, Podoc, P-O-D-O-K, podcaster, podcasting organisms designed only for recapping, is not launching anytime soon. Nope. It's no, it's not going to happen. No. Have you watched any of it, though? Yes, I have. Uh, very patent, very just kind of craze, fun. Uh, a lot of just uh, and I, I think he's doing a great job with the character. It's fun to kind of see. Also, the family aspect is great. You know, I think it's uh, it's it's kind of classic. Uh, Patton Oswalt. What do you think? That's oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I, there's a lot of great writing in there there's some fun bits sure, especially some... with the aim uh you know the guy who just loses his arm for the whole episode that was really a lot of fun that's sure, fine <laughs> oh man yeah thank you stray bullet God, i don't know i watched the first it. two episodes and i just it's not my thing all right man okay i'm glad for anybody who does like it i think that's great for you yes i did catch the jurassic park reference yes yes uh, first end up guy is asking if there is a Jurassic Park reference and Pete said yes uh, there you go for anybody listening on the podcast uh, this is over on YouTube Scott Carpenter thank you for the nice tip here uh, did you happen to read Stray Dogs number four I kind of wish I didn't oh Pete did you read Stray Dogs number four I don't think so that wasn't on our required reading list uh, for the stack podcast so um... no it was oh did that come out I guess it did. Oh, no. Did we miss it? How did we miss it? I don't know how we missed it. I got to check that out. That, yeah, uh, yeah man. Maybe, been maybe reading it wasn't up. set out about it for, by image or something. Yeah. Um, gosh, I feel bad now because the first three issues of that book were so good. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, now I'm also wondering whether Scott Carpenter is saying... I kind of wish I did it because it was so high, horrifying, or I kind of wish I did it because well, it was ben, so bad. Ben the border collie, Ben the border collie says it was so dark. Honestly, shocked. You know what we should do? We should launch a, a podcast where people review comics to us. <laughs> and then what? We just sit there and go, "Yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Oh, that sounds cool. Oh, I like that. Oh. I like the way you worded that. Mm. Oh no, I completely disagree with that." See, this is what I imagined reaction videos are like on YouTube, and that's why I don't watch them. <laughs> no, reaction videos are fun, man, because they usually it's somebody who's very animated, and yeah. you watch them lose my mind. Fun fact, uh, one of my friends used to uh, get me drunk and then hide an old-school camera and take me watching uh, sports 
and uh, it was you fun. you would be good at reaction videos. I do sometimes think about because people will ask us, particularly with Riverdale, because we do the Riverdale podcast. They'll say, sure. "Hey, would you guys ever do reaction videos to Riverdale?" And I briefly check it in my head and think about what would a reaction video to me watching Riverdale be like, and it'd mostly be like. <laughs> yeah, but then it would be like, oh, sh-. I mean, they have such huge moments, oh. though. But I don't know. Is that why would somebody want to watch that? I mean, just it's... every five minutes going, oh. <laughs> well, very if you muted, very some people, reactions. you can tell they're like kind of like living and dying with the moment. And it's fun right. to see some fucked up and then see somebody react to it. It's enjoyable. Again, I guess that's what it's like when I watch stuff with you. So there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. This, uh, oh, here we go. I got lost for a second. This is from Kevin over on Crowdcast. What's a favorite show that's not at all based on a comic, but feels like it is? In other words, a comic book show without the comic. I'll tell you one that wasn't good. Hunters on Prime Video. That show made me really mad. And that specifically was supposed to be like a superhero show with Nazi hunters. Mm, and it oh, yeah. sucked and it was offensive. Yeah, you there got you go. I was going to check that out. And you were like, don't. No. So no, very bad. But very it was upsetting. Al Pacino. So I was like, oh, maybe I should. But yeah. Uh, what's another like very comic booky type show? A lot of people are calling out like the cape and heroes. But I think. What's something that has the style and feel of it without it explicitly being about superheroes, do you think? Mm. I mean, there's also another one that's just okay is The Nevers on HBO. Um, Mm. I don't know if anybody... Have you watched any of that, Pete? No. Well, what's that uh, show we got into for a little while where there was magic um, and it was based on uh, uh, actual... uh, novel not a comic that was oh, the magicians that to me oh, had yeah. like a comic book feel to it yeah that's fair that's good magicians is great um yeah, yeah sense eight as well you got the jms there so that's pretty good uh the show with michael chiklis on abc i think he's talking about fantastic four or maybe the shield He's not yeah, talking probably. about that he's talking about like next to normal or it was something like that mm-hmm. um all right we got uh, ooh, we got a question for Pete over on YouTube. I'm oh. halfway through Yusuke and I'm digging the voice acting and music. What do you like about it? And do you want a second season? I do want a second season. I love kind of like a Ronin type anime, uh, where whether it's Afro Samurai, Vampire Hunter D, uh, just these kind of like out of place people who are kind of like walking the earth. Uh, fucking shit up as they go um i yeah i don't i don't know it also um uh um usagi yojimbo usagi yojimbo sorry if i butchered that um uh, also just uh you know a comic book that to me i w- uh, would be an amazing kind of like anime or animation uh kind of story of just this roman kind of like uh, you know, walking through different places and kind of saving the day in different ways. So, um, yeah, Yasuke, like the, the, not only was the storytelling cool, but also like kind of finding out uh, people's backstory as they kind of go. And, um, 
you know, I'm a sucker for kind of any kind of like uh, samurai or, or ninja type of thing. So this is a question from first hand up guy here on Crowdcast. What are your favorite fictional properties featuring weird deer? <laughs> um, I mean, I think Bambi is the first thing that comes to mind. Wow. Yeah, that's that, that was the crazy. first. That was the first. Yeah. Yes. Bambi versus Godzilla. I remember very well. Still funny. Still, still, funny, still, funny. still funny. Still still rules, man. Yeah. <laughs> weird deer. Weird deer. How about Bojack Horseman? Okay. Probably a weird deer in there somewhere. Yeah. I don't remember specifically, yeah. but I'm sure it showed up. I just keep thinking about Deer Hunter and that moment. Yeah, so. not a lot of deer and deer hunter. Yeah. Actually. I used to play a game uh, called Spot the Deer when I'm watching oh. Deer Hunter. I play that with my six-year-old. Yeah, uh, I think there's a, there's a weird Adam <laughs> Sandler animated uh, movie about... Uh, yeah. As like First Stand a- Up Guy points out, Deer Evan Hansen uh, also has no deer, but uh, it does have a wild plot that I wish I didn't know. <laughs> I was very upset about that. I put off finding out what the plot of dear evan hansen was for years at this point because i wanted to see it on broadway and i was like i don't want to know anything about it don't want to listen to the music trailer for the movie came up it's like oh let me watch this two minute and a half minutes later i was like what the fuck is this thing uh, oh my god give james emmett a lot of credit they said the ring to it's a weird deer but uh like props to you for going back to the ring after seeing the first one i uh that's just way too scary for me yeah, I watched The Ring and then uh, seven days ago, I think, at this point. So I'll let you know if anything happens. Yeah, le- let me know how that goes. It just makes uh, me think of Justin and living in the weird well world. This is from Jay Sinison. I've been watching the history of late night on CNN, and I was wondering who was your go to late night host as a kid? Who? Go to late night host as a kid. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'll just jump in and say that I never really watched late night shows. I was in bed well before that. Yeah, I wasn't allowed uh, to do any of that. Um, yeah, the, it's the latest thing that I watched. Sometimes I'd stay up and watch Saturday Night Live, which I know is an entirely different thing, but that was pretty much it. I didn't really even find out about anything about Johnny Carson or David Letterman or anything about the history of late night shows until later when I was doing research on them. Okay. Cause you went to Cornell and they were like, if you want to learn about comedy, you better do the research and all the late night hosts. Yeah. Jack Cornell told me that when I, wow. Nice deep cut, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the late night hosts haven't really, uh, uh, that was never a thing as a, a kid for me. Um, you know, it was more like uh, cartoons and stuff that kind of spoke to me. So I, I wasn't really listening to real people as much. Tell you what, trust. Roadblock was the original late night host. That's a G.I. Joe, right? Don't it is right? a G.I. Okay. Joe, yeah. <laughs> this is from Stanley over on YouTube. What TV or movies coming out oh, would... soon are you oh. most looking forward to? I'm going to say Reading Rainbow. Yeah, is the uh, talk show host that I looked up to. Though. I tried out for Reading Rainbow. Yeah? Uh, I got a final callback for Reading Rainbow. Yeah, and then they I, were just like... It hurt a did lot. Did they say you were too nerdy? What did they say? I don't know. I came in and I read a book. That was the final audition. 
and they didn't take me. And I was like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> do I, am I terrible at reading books? Traumatized me. Oh, Talking man, about sorry. memories I have as a kid. Maybe that's why I can't remember anything because it was so yeah, blacked it all out. Yeah. And then later on, I passed that generational trauma to my daughter. I went to a reading rainbow party when the reading rainbow app launched. And she was terrified of LeVar Burton, which is a crazy thing to happen. Oh. Is He's it, a very nice guy. It. We went up to take a picture with him, and she was so scared. I was like, no, he's he's the nice guy that reads books. Why was she scared of him? And she was uh, scared of strangers, I think. Okay, all right. Yeah. And also, Just he was wearing people. the Jordy of the Forge. I was going to uh, say, if, if he had time. that thing, yeah, like that would be scary mm-hmm. for me, yeah, for sure. It was very confusing because it was reading Rainbow Party, but... Yeah. I guess he just doesn't take it off. Was there a question that I missed because we were doing bits? Uh, what TV or movies are you looking forward to? Oh, that's what it was. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's uh, there's a bunch coming. I'm just excited to maybe, uh, hopefully by the time Black Widow comes out, you know, like be able to go to a movie theater and not be too sketched. Um, yeah, one thing that's not coming up for a while, but I think the review embargo broke at this point. Uh, I mentioned this on Weekend Geek. There's a show called Feel Good that's on Netflix. There's six episodes in the first season. The second season is coming very soon, and it's so good. If you never checked it out, uh, it's about a comedian who uh, was addicted to drugs in Canada, moved to England to try to get herself clean. It doesn't work out well. She ends up dating a girl who has never dated girls before. Uh, and it goes horribly, hilariously wrong. There are things that I laughed out loud so hard at in the wow. first season. Uh, and the second season, uh, at least what I've seen so far, is also really strong and really good. It's from a comedian named Mae Martin. Um, so I highly recommend checking that out. Um, I'll also recommend uh, Friday, Cruella. Really? You've seen Disney. it already? I've seen Cruella. Don't Netflix on us like that. I You've liked seen it. Cruella? I was very surprised. I mean, it's Emma Stone. That's the thing is Emma Stone is great in it. And Emma, Emma Stone Tom- is, uh, I mean, she's a, a, a national treasure. Did you yeah. see her uh, lip sync battle on Fallon? She killed it, destroyed it. <laughs> That's the one that she won the Academy Award for, right? She went from Blues Traveler to DJ Khaled like it was nothing. It was beautiful. It was really impressive. She does the same thing in Cruella. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. I was surprised. It goes on a little long. And uh, if you're, I don't know why anybody would be like this, but if you're into the plot of 101 Dalmatians, it makes no sense because it doesn't connect in any way. But she's so good. And Emma Thompson is so good. And it's basically like Devil Wears Prada meets Ocean's Eleven set in the world of 101 Dalmatians. What? 100%. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And super, super fun. I, again, I was very surprised. Now, when you say went went on too long, were you by like five minutes, an hour? Like, what are you talking about? Were you like, oh, this is dragging? Uh, It's just like, they, they could, they could have wrapped it up probably about 15 minutes earlier or something. The last Mm -hmm. 15 minutes are fine. They're still fun and visually interesting. And Emma Stone is enjoyable to watch, but. I hate when you say that. Well, that's the thing, is that, like, it just fine. drags on. For you don't me. mean like, fine, so don't say it's fine. No, I do mean fine. Like, I was fine with it. I was not mad I was watching the end of the movie. Sometimes I was. Like, Army of the Dead, which is one of the biggest pieces of shit I've seen in a really what? long time. What? 
Oh my god, that movie Tig, sucks so hard. Uh, well, it's not good, but I mean, there's some Tig is great. In Jesus it. Christ! And uh. Uh, you get a. I thought the zombie uh, leopard from you know Las Vegas. I I thought Tiger was hysterical. That was fine. They overdid that bit. They overdid all the bits. The plot was worthless. It was shot. Yeah, but have the the two I saw had. Somebody, I saw somebody mention this online, and I can't get it out of my head, that they said it looked like Zack Snyder shot it in portrait mode on an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird shadowy stuff, but it's all CGI. But I I, I mean, some hilarious, like, I'm not defending a Zack Snyder thing, don't get me wrong. Like, I wasn't like, this is Here's great. The thing. But there was some fun... Like having the the two head people be still dressed as like Las Vegas, like I thought that was like a a nice kind of like, uh, you know, just kind of silliness to it, and uh, the fact that it was like zombies, but it, that wasn't part of you know, it was like okay, we're gonna go into this area where they are. It was. I honestly went into it wanting to like it because yeah. I think Dawn of the Dead was very good. And seeing him go back to zombie stuff, I thought, great, I'm excited to check that out. And I don't know, reportedly, he seems like a very, he's supposed to be a very nice guy and he's good to his crews. So I'm happy for him to have a win, despite what the Snyder Cut folks have definitely done online or some of the more negative elements of that group. I watch way too much zombie stuff, so I have a very low bar for zombie stuff. But this was, it was nonsense. Like none of the plot was mattered at all. The dialogue was like all over the place. There was no for the biggest thing that drove me insane. Now that we're just straight up talking about army of the dead, the biggest thing that drove me insane. And I'll just spoil some of the plot, but I think you probably know this. If you haven't seen it from the trailers is that like, they're doing a heist in Vegas. That's been taken over by zombies and they have a certain amount of time before it gets nuked. That's right. They don't care. At any point, like there is no narrative drive at any point in this movie where they're like, hey, come on, we should really pick up the pace a little bit because we're about to get nuked in 90 minutes. Instead, they're like standing around and chatting about stuff and talking about like their feelings and things. When I'm like, Uh, there's a nuke. I couldn't get out of (laughs) even with the lack of zombies. I would be unable to get out of Las Vegas in 90 minutes today in the real world. What are you doing? How does any of this work? And beyond the fact that, like, there's also no steps to the heist. They spend 50 minutes putting together the crew, and they're like, here's the heist. We walk in, and we open the safe. <laughs> Terror! That's not a heist! Like, yeah, I was all in also, on the idea of, like, make it, a, make it Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, but how with cool was it the great. fact that, like, with all this technology, when you get to the safe, it's still old school Indiana Jones style booby traps in front of the safe. I lost it by that. That was ludicrous. And then he has to listen to it. He's like, this is the hardest safe in the world. Let me listen listen. to it. (laughs) That's how safes work, man. You just got to just really put your ear up to it and listen for the Mm -hmm. click. Just listen really closely and nobody distract him. Except for the fact that he's like, nobody distract me for half an hour. And they're like, got it. We're going to stand five feet away and talk about our feelings very loudly. But come on, now you have kids. Uh, so that part where Dave, De, De, you know, Batista is like, hey, uh, uh, you know, I'm your dad, so uh, uh, you, you can't go in there. And she's like, oh, I'm going in there. He's like, oh, okay. 
I mean, you had to look at that and be like, that's parenting. Listen, that's how parenting Dave works. Dave Bautista is great. Like you were saying, Tignaturo is great. I liked, like, most of the cast, they had costumed well, so they all had very distinct silhouettes. They had very distinct profiles, so it was very, yeah. like, iconic in that way. I wish there had been a more sensical story for and more interesting action, honestly, for them to go along with. And, like... The reason I'm going to tune into a Zack Snyder movie is crazy visuals. He knows how to direct an opening sequence, and maybe that's it. Oh, wow. You know? Anyway, very frustrating. Uh, uh, but- I would say, though, that, like, I, I, I don't know. I would, I, you know, what you said, you know, uh, including, I watched it, and I, if I paid money to see it, I'd be pissed. But, like, mm-hmm. streaming it for free, I was like, okay, you know, I'm not mad. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's that is Netflix's yeah <laughs> whole business model. Oh boy. Um, let's see. All right, here we go. This is a question from Luana Nana. Why do I hate myself when I'm not being a cog in the capitalist machine? And how do I stop hating myself and fearing death? Uh, that is a great question, Luana. And I think mm-hmm. my big recommendation here is put more money into the capitalist machine. Yeah. The Easiest way of getting away from those negative feelings you're having is to buy products, uh, buy food, and particularly sugary or like fun food, like snacks. Have a me day, you know, like go to the store or like better yet, pay some money to somebody on Instagram uh, to tell you how to set up a me day for yourself and really just like treat yourself, you know? Wow. There you go. That's the way to do it. You should really start a self-help uh, podcast, man. <laughs> I I have. It's this one. <laughs> this is from Staunch Ambition. I watched Resident Alien and loved it. Have you seen it? Yes, I also loved it. Pete, I've recommended it several times. And as we both know, anything that we recommend to each other, we always watch. I'm writing it down now because I, I got upset that I forgot about it. You love it. it. You love that comic book. I do love that com- comic book. Uh, this is Sci-Fi What's Show. What's it on? It was oh, Sci-Fi. sci-fi. And it should fine. all be streaming on Sci-Fi.com, I think. Ten episodes, Alan Tiddick stars as the alien. If you don't know the plot from the Dark Horse comic book, he comes to Earth, kills a doctor, and then takes over his identity and ends up becoming the doctor for the small town, even though he's an alien. Only one kid in the town can see that he's alien, and it's... Very fun. Alan Tiddick is super funny in it. I laughed a bunch every single episode. I like the plot. The mystery is like, actually it turns out pretty well by the end of the season. I liked how it worked out. Um, but good stuff. I was very surprised. Even though I like the book, I sort of went in being like, ah, this is going to be too jokey. But Alan Tiddick, man, won me over. Ah, Good stuff. Highly recommend that. Uh, this is from, uh, we got one last one from Pablo D. Martinez. What's your take on the Eternals trailer? Eternals trailer just dropped. Pete, you check that out. Man, we're using up all our stuff now. We won't have anything for weeks and geeks. Um, uh, yeah, I did check it out. I'm, you know, uh, Eternals wasn't one of my favorite, uh, Marvel properties. What? Uh, yeah, but That's crazy. The Everybody cat- loves the Eternals. We love... Cersei. Uh-huh. Uh, Sprite? I don't I don't know. Um Dr. I, Pepper. I'm I'm excited uh 
the casting seems interesting and it's a Marvel movie. So I'll be there. What did you think the big discussion I've seen about the movie is there's this line in the trailer where they say for years, we have had no interference. We haven't interfered in human events until now. And everybody is like, what about world war two guys? Couldn't you have interfered in that? So what do you think? Is is the movie going to explain why oh, they have not interfered previously in human events? I don't know. You know, I mean, Eternals are so fickle like that, you know, mm-hmm. what they choose to do, what they choose not to do. Uh, you know, it's a... Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. First stand-up guy. I was thinking about the real world thing. He mentioned Thanos. Yes. Everybody was saying Infinity War, where they're like, wow, that's crazy. Wait, no. did you just get Infinity War confused with World War II? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh wow i wish justin was here for that moment <laughs> that's amazing real quick which war do you think was real quick worse oh my Pete? god oh. i'm gonna go with world war ii bro yeah i'm gonna agree with you on that one. yeah <laughs> not the infinity war all right and that is it for oh man questions. Whoop, whoop. Now it is time for our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePay. All right. This is the, oh, first hand up guy is first hand. Uh, this is part we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars in the form of a gift card to Midtown Comics Online Edition. Um, it'll be excited to see first hand up guy. It's been a minute. Yeah. By the uh, way, I should mention while we're waiting for him, I don't, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before. My grandfather actually fought in the Infinity War. <laughs> oh wow! Congratulations. <laughs> wow, Alex, you're younger than I realized. Yeah. Wow, hey, Nat, you, you got the gamer chair, huh? You doing a little upgrading? Oh uh, yeah, I had to put extra shocks in the bottom of it to get so I can really feel the base in my ass. <laughs> Man, that's what? nice. You're gonna boil know, gamer, that, like some your... gamer chairs have like speakers in them. It's a good joke. Oh, okay, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I don't know gamer chairs. I guess kind of felt like you led with the knowledge the joke there. without any uh, knowledge about it, Pete. All right, I'm gonna let Pete take it away. You're maybe going to win twenty five dollars to Midtown yeah. Comics. We'll see yeah. what happens. No one knows. All right, please listen to all three options before you make your selection. Here we go. Question number one: Who is coming to comics with his TikTok? Sci-fi superhero. Is it A, Jason DeLuru... Oh, wow. Jason DeRulo. B, Jason Todd. Or is it C, Joey Pants? Joey Pantaleone. Uh, I gotta say, it's A, Jason DeRulo. There you go. And you said it well. Congratulations. Question number two. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg's new Joker book is called What? Is it A, Clown Car from Hell, B, The Puzzle Box, or is it C, Dennis Farina? Uh, so I, it's either A or it's B. I think it's B, The Puzzle Box. That is correct. Very excited about that book. <laughs> Rosenberg has been killing it lately. All right, here we go. Question number three, the last one. Who is Superman versus? In this new upcoming black label title, is it A, Lobo, B, Martha, or is it C, Yafit Kodo? 
Wow, Kevin, how did you do that to me? How Whoa. did you do that to me? Do you want to explain what just happened for the listening audience? Well, why don't you answer the question? In the oh, sorry. I forgot what the choices were, but I think, yeah. it, I think it was Say A. Or B. A. 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 So Pete puts a secret quiz in the third answers. And as happens sometimes, Pete, you've been trying to trip Kevin up, but in the comments... Kevin will post correctly the third person that you're going to put there. And he said, Yafit Koto, I want to say mere seconds before you set it up. Yeah. And I did that as a, well, first off, Yafit's one of my favorite actors, but like I try, I purposely didn't say Bobby D or somebody like famous. So like it was, Yafit uh, Koto is one of your favorite. actors. Oh my God. A run, uh, midnight run. Um, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Running Man, like he's been in a ton of stuff. Like uh, just one of those. Anything like, kind that of, doesn't like, have to do with running. background. No, I, I, if there's running, uh, he's there. He's there. Uh, but, run. Yeah, Lola Run. He's in that. Uh... <laughs> no, but he's done a ton of stuff. Um, yeah, he was uh, marathon played man. a villain. Oh, marathon Man. That's good. Yeah, that uh, movie has but... a lot of running. Does it? Rest in peace. Is that what that movie's about? I don't know. I thought it was a running movie for a very long time, and then I read the plot summary, and I was very surprised. It feels like you and I just double bluffed on Running Man, <laughs> I mean, on Marathon Man. <laughs> Neither of us know what the movie's about. I know Lawrence Olivier pulls Dustin Hoffman's teeth. Do I have that right? You're asking the wrong guy. I can tell you that much. <laughs> oh, Kevin says it's about dentistry, so there you go. Uh, seems mm. like a, it's a fun movie. Uh, that... Congratulations, you've won $25. Yeah, 25 oh, oh, I did! Wow. Oh, no one mentioned yeah. that. Yeah, that's great. You. you can uh, read your comics in your new chair. I hope you don't boil that like all of your baseball gloves. Hey! Thank you, show. Thank you for that very accessible joke. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All uh, right, there we go. Nice There's to see that. You. Now, as we all know, comic books are great. So <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, this tiered... This tiered release of comic books is really throwing me. I've been using the same intro to the section for years, and it's really bummed me out that DC Comics are already out. But Pete, what are you looking forward to or has already come out today? I am looking forward to Beta Ray Bill number three. Of course you are. Any particular reason? Uh, it's a phenomenal comic. Really well drawn, written, colored, and uh, lettered. Sounds great. And you had a great chat with your best friend, Daniel Warren Johnson, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I kept my shit together. <laughs> Barely. Uh, Barely uh, I'm right. looking forward to Made in Korea, number one, from Image Comics, written by Jeremy Holt. This is a new sci-fi comic uh, that is coming out that it looks pretty interesting. I'm excited to chat about that yeah. in our Stack podcast, which comes out Wednesdays, either in the Comic Book Club feed or in its own Stack feed. And folks... That is it for this week's show. Thanks, everybody. A couple of people we want to thank before we go. We want to thank James Emmett and Erica Schultz for coming on. Check out Deglius Bouquet. Now on Kickstarter, also Glenn Head talking about Chartwell Manor from Fantagraphics, which is out now. Next week, we're going to have a bevy of Chris's on the show, including Chris, the founder of Urban Anime, is going to be here to talk about that. Also, Chris Dunn is returning to the show, and uh, some of you might find this particularly interesting. He used to be a writer for the WWE. He is no longer a writer for the WWE, and he is ready to tell all. I know that sounds like a joke, but legitimately, 
If you have any questions about the WWE and how it works behind the scenes, Chris is ready to answer them live on the show, and I'm sure a bunch of you are going to be interested in that. A couple of other things to plug. Candyman, a Sweet Tooth podcast, a preview episode live now, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Definitely subscribe to that. Those episodes are only going to show up in that feed. Also, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, is ongoing talking about Phase 1. Just put up our Thor episode, Captain America, coming up this Friday. Riverdale After Dark, a Riverdale podcast. As mentioned, we talked to Seth Green and Matt Senrish from Robot Chicken. That episode is live in that feed. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show. iTunes, Android, Spotify. Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, good night!